Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Danielle Grupo, who is Chief Executive Officer of Intern Alliance. Today we will discuss the business of internships. Danielle is also the founder of Intern Alliance, an online service that connects qualified college students to viable internship opportunities. She has 25 years of experience as a human resources executive developing and executing talent management and human capital strategies for Fortune 250 companies and privately held companies in energy, healthcare, services, and manufacturing. She is a results-oriented achiever dedicated to building programs that foster a corporate culture of employee engagement, inclusion, and compliance by employing keen business acumen and demonstrating key expertise. Danielle, welcome. Thank you, Lena. How do you define an internship? What exactly is an internship? Well, an internship usually uh, lasts about three months, and it is with a college student where a a corporation or a nonprofit company um, will hire a student, um, mostly undergrad, although there are internships for graduate students as well, and they last for about three months. Um, usually they start over the summertime, so the employer could really teach the um, the students a lot of information, and then they might bring them back over different um, breaks. But there's also um, cooperative associates, and their length of time is a little bit different. It's, um, it's more um, six to eight months. And so they, um, that's part of their school curriculum. So the, um, so the employer would be teaching the student and having the student, um, work on perhaps more significant projects than, than, um, an intern would work on. So we're talking about a formal program where an employer provides an opportunity for a student, someone who is in college, at an undergraduate or graduate level to gain practical experience on the job for a brief period of, as you were saying earlier, three months. Yes, truly, that is that is what an internship is. And it also gives the student the opportunity to evaluate the employer um, as well as the employer to evaluate the student for potential full-time opportunities and whether the student believes that they feel that there's a culture fit within the company. What kind of expectations in your experience should employers and employees have from these programs? Well, an employer, you know, especially when you're looking at Fortune 500, Fortune 2000 companies, large corporations, um, or government contracting corporations, they're really looking to um, to teach the students the way that their company runs and the type in depending on the type of job, whether it's engineering or communications, having the student um, not only work on daily tasks that are part of every job, but also work on some project work so that the student could then learn and communicate with their supervisor, their mentor, and really say, okay, this student is, is a go-getter, this student um, loves this type of work, this student is, is um, you know, excelling in their, their academics, and this might be a, the type of student that we would want to hire full-time when they graduate um, or bring back for a second internship. And from a student perspective, you know, I mean, it's human nature that any student is going to want 
um, a good paying internship, maybe with a, um, a a large corporation where they feel they could grow and move around and maybe um, do a rotation and make a difference. But a lot of students really feel that gaining experience um, and making a difference not only with the company but in something that they believe is important to the the nation or the world um, trumps money. So I think that it's a um, it's different for every student on what is important to them and what they're they would like to get out of the internship. What kind of numbers are we talking about in terms of internship opportunities? internships that are fulfilled on an annual basis. Do you have any numbers you might share with us? Um, there is is probably about 1.5 million um, interns, internships across the United States. I would say um, probably about half of that is, um, is unpaid, um, you know, roughly about half. And that would probably account for the nonprofits um, that that you're looking at, and the the profit the for profit companies are for the most part um, paid internships. What kind of compensation or payment would you say is standard, or is there such a thing? Well. If it's required by the Department of Labor that the um, the employers pay minimum wage, and in in 2018 um, the federal minimum minimum wage is increased um, as of January 1st of this year um, to $10.35 per hour, but you, you need to also check your your state minimum wages. Um, but the, according to the National Association of Colleges Employers 2017 intern and co-op report, um, the average intern is paid uh, 18.03 cents an hour. Um, so that's well above minimum wage. It's also the, the wage for the interns has been um, steadily keeping a uh, – Edging out the the um, the ain't the uh, <laughs> the average wage has in the last three years has slightly edged out our inflation. So I think that that's very important, and I don't believe that um, companies should compare um, compare their wage rates to perhaps. Um, what full-time employees make because they aren't full-time employees they're they're interns but they need to follow if they're paying they need to follow the minimum wage standards and that of course is as you were saying earlier an estimate that about half of interns are being paid with the remaining half not being paid and that of course is because the exception to the Department of Labor's requirement that companies pay interns is when the interns are earning college credit. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, yes. The the Department of Labor has a seven-factor test for unpaid interns. So it's very important that for-profit companies – review this test and make sure that they meet the guidelines and the standards. Um, One, you want to treat, you know, the interns properly, and you don't want to um, either purposely take advantage or inadvertently take advantage of a a student. And um, so it's, it's very important to follow these. So any promise of compensation, whether expressed or implied, suggests that an intern is an employee and vice versa. So if determined to be an employee, then minimum wage must be paid to the student. Uh, the extent, number two, the extent to, 
to which an internship provides training that would be similar to that, which would be given um, in an educational environment. So training could take many forms. It doesn't have to be overwhelming and cumbersome, but hands-on training and, and shadowing is great. And, um, you know, according to the National Association of Colleges Employers, you know, only 10% of someone's, um, an intern's work really should be um, administrative in nature because every job has administrative work, but half of that work by interns is um, is on project work, which is fantastic. And number three of the, the seven-factor test is the extent to which the internship is tied to an intern's formal education program by integrating coursework or the receipt of academic credit. So you had mentioned the academic credit. So some students, they work with their college and university to receive credit, which is great. Um, and a lot of times when they receive credit, they do not receive pay because it's um, in, it's an agreement between the, the um, student, the school, and the employer as they work out the um, the internship arrangements, but um, and employers with intern alliance, you know, they're looking to fill an internship with a student who has a major complementing the type of work required. But that is, that's not to say that you can't pay someone who's also getting credit. So it just depends on the employer's program and the standardization of the program and consistency applied across the board. The fourth factor is the extent to which the internship accommodates the intern's academic complements by corresponding to the academic calendar. So many intern alliance employers do the bulk of their teaching and training during long semester breaks like the summer or in the case of a co-op, um, a six to eight month window of time, maybe over a semester or two, and then bring the students back over the holidays to have them work part-time um, or during the semester they could work part-time during a busy season perhaps with a, an accounting firm, you know, um, during tax season. And the, the fifth factor is the extent to which the internship's duration is limited to a period of time in which the internship provides the intern with beneficial learning. Again, three months for most internships and six to eight months um, for co-ops are the standard. Um, the sixth factor is the extent to which the intern's work complements rather than displaces the work of paid employees while providing significant educational benefits to the intern. So this is an example where um, some of the prominent media and um, entertainment companies have been found in violation. Uh, and where lawsuits have been entailed and, and have been filed, um, and some of them, some of the companies have been found guilty, where you're actually displacing a full-time employee or having the student doing works of a the work of a full-time employee versus complementing and supporting the um, positions and the and the op opportunities with the company. So that's a very important um, factor to consider. And then the seventh and final one is the extent to which the intern and the employer understand that the internship is conducted without entitlement to a paid job at the conclusion of the internship. So when offering an unpaid internship, you know, you should it shouldn't serve as a prerequisite to a guaranteed full-time employment. So you can't say, well, if you work this length of time unpaid, we'll then hire you as paid. What you should do is, is have a structured program where the student is learning, where the employer is benefiting um, from some of, some of that work that the student is doing. And then if you're interested in hiring the student at the end of the internship into like either returning for a second internship or perhaps that when the student graduates you want to make an offer of employment 
um, for when the student graduates so that um, you can hire them. That's that's fine, but you can't make it a prerequisite. And, um, you know, I would say, too, uh, and after these reviewing the seven factors, um, if you're going to make an offer, because a lot of employee, employers really want to um, secure that student before the student goes back to school because they're so afraid that another employer is going to hire them. And um, But they don't realize that the students want to find the best job for themselves. They want to um, they want to try out different internships, perhaps, um, or perhaps they found the right job and the right um, company from the first internship. But most students do a couple of internships through their college career, and especially going into their senior year, the interviews are very heavy on campus um, through the first semester, so the, the fall semester. So if you're going to make an offer to a student at the beginning of the fall semester, um, give them the semester to think about it. Don't let, um, don't force them into accepting that job right away. Let them evaluate other companies. Otherwise, you're just setting yourself up for a student to either not tell you until the last minute that they've accepted something else or having to confront the employer to tell them that they're reneging on um, the employment offer that they they were forced into accepting in the beginning of the year. So it, it's important to give them a little bit leeway, and I think the employer and the student would be happier with that um, for a returning internship or a, a full-time position. What would you say are the greatest challenges that employers raise, the objections, if you will, on the part of employers in relation to internship programs and their drawbacks? It, it depends on how well established the program is. I think if you're a small employer, the feedback that I get is they they want um, they don't have the infrastructure to support a very large program where you're having um, formal speakers and lunch and learns every week or you're having experiential learning sessions um, that could be very time consuming from a staffing standpoint. Um, in organizing it and um, possibly uh, financially burdensome. But small employers and medium-sized employers can have um, just as much success with an internship program by keeping the cost down. And instead of having very formal lunch and learns, you know, make sure invite invite the student to a, a lunch with um, a mentor or another um, manager or supervisor or a coworker that has worked at the company for a, a long time to give the student insight and to also ask the student for their insights so that the company can learn. Um, but the, the drawbacks a lot are certainly the financial and the time consuming. So, but a lot of these large companies, their programs are run by one or two people and they have, you know, 200 interns. And the way that they manage that is that they engage the supervisors and the managers and the leaders of the company to believe in the internship program and to see the advantages. It, I mean, you're spending, you know, $3,500 to hire um, an intern or a full-time employee. I mean, that's the average cost. So why not hire a student into an internship once and then be able to make an offer of employment and they come back and then you have zero recruiting dollars when you're hiring them um, into the second internship or into a full-time opportunity. So although it could be um, a little bit costly 
in the beginning, you're saving you're saving also in the training dollars, you're saving in the recruiting dollars, and um, you've also allowed the student to figure out if this is a good fit for them. So you're looking at longevity in, in a student staying. What are the challenges that you're seeing on the side of students and their willingness to participate in internship programs? Students want to be challenged. Um, some students find that internships could be boring. Um, their, their concern is that they're not being challenged enough or, um, you know, but it's not, it's not a large percentage of students that feel that way. Um, well-run internships programs, whether with a large company or a small company, just need a good communication and project structure. So if a, if a company is working with, with an intern, say there's two interns uh, that they're hiring for the summer, the supervisors need to be engaged in that and um, working with the human resources individual to ensure that not only are there daily functions for the student to do, so once a student comes in, they know what they need to do, but there also needs to be projects so that any kind of downtime can be filled with the project work. And at Intern Alliance, we always suggest that there is a weekly meeting or feedback session and put the onus on the students to prepare for that. So the student might write up a paragraph, you know, not a long, not even a page, just a paragraph of the status of their project work, um, perhaps any questions or concerns they might have. and. You can sit down with your supervisor or mentor over lunch or in, a, in an informal meeting for half an hour and talk through some um, concerns and some positive things um, that are going on at the workplace to make sure that the student is engaged, that they're getting all of the resources and the education that they need to succeed and the student will be happy that they're able to um, to express these concerns and and positive things about the job. And then the the supervisor or the mentor can also correct anything that's a little off kilter, so that the at the end of the internship period, there is a completed and positive project. Um, that could add value to the company as well as to the student's education and experience that they could add to their resume. One of the changes that has come about with the advent of successful companies in the high-tech industry is the emergence of higher-paying internship programs to the tune of, I understand, as much as $8,000 a month for what is, as you have been describing, average internship pay rates of $3,500 for three months. So that's a significant difference in pay. What can you tell us about that? Yes, and you're going to have that with some of the high-tech companies. That is fantastic, they, that they are able to offer that kind of money for an internship. But you can't, you can't equate that to a full-time job because who knows if they would be making that kind of money, perhaps they will, in a, in a full-time job. But the, the high-tech companies that offer those type of internships really um, integrate this the student into their culture, um, get them involved in all kinds of projects. Um, the student really gets a good feeling of whether this is something that they'd want to do um, for the next two or three years, which is the average entry level um, 
job before they switch jobs or if they wanted to maybe stay for a longer period of time. So I, I think that's really great that companies can offer that, but I don't think it should discourage um, other companies who are either either making an unpaid internship or a um, or a lower paid internship. There are so many students out there right now who are top notch, um, fantastic students, and they w- might not want to work for a high tech company, or maybe they're not in an, an engineering field or a um, STEM career. Uh, which is science, engineering, technology, or math. So it's not it's not pushing. Um, it's not that these these companies that are paying the high dollar amount to interns are stealing all of the great candidates. There's a lot of great candidates out there, and if you're looking for um, Hispanic and Latino students, you know. Also, look at two-year institutions. Um, the percentage of Hispanic students in the U.S. who are who start higher education are at two-year institutions, which you know, and that's about 25% of the Hispanic students, and 14% of them um, start at a four-year institution, according to the National Center for Educational Statistics. And so, therefore, when recruiting Hispanic Latino students, you definitely don't want to discount the community colleges and a lot of the um, of the top three disciplines where Latinos um, earn associate's degree are liberal arts, um, health professions, and business. And um, the majority of these degrees earned in these fields of study have remained consistent over the last 10 years for Latinos. So it, it's something to keep your, your mind open because a lot of these um, top Fortune 500 companies don't necessarily look at um, associate's degree programs and they miss out on so many advantages that the Hispanic Latino culture has to offer. Now, historically, there has been a bias, let's say. There's been a preference in terms of the universities and the colleges that are perceived to be the best, many times referred to as the Ivy League, for example. And many people think that those are the universities and the students from those universities who get the best internship offers. Do you find that to be the case? It definitely does not hurt to have an Ivy League um, background, whether you're looking at an internship or an entry-level job. But some public colleges um, and state schools have fantastic alumni networks. And um, I, for example, Penn State University, they have the largest alumni network in the United States. And um, if you graduate from Penn State, you're going to have all those alumni who are cheering you on and would like to take you under their wing to bring you into an internship. Most employers look at where their facilities are located, whether it's a manufacturing company or a service company. They want to look at geographically where their locations are and what are the top schools surrounding those locations that have the degrees that they're looking for. So if if I am a um, a utility company and I'm looking for a lot of engineers, whether it be um, electrical or mechanical engineers, um, and I have locations in the Northeast and in the Southwest, I'm going to be looking at schools in those areas that have the not only the um, the degrees I'm looking for, but 
the the numbers of students that I'm looking for. So if I have a large internship program, also looking at um, what schools have a, a large number of students in those areas. And if I have a, a diverse culture, I might be looking at the diversity of students at those schools to see how inclusive those schools are. And if that's where I could find um, students that could expand the culture of the company, that I could hire them in so they could grow the company with us. So um, geography and major are very important to employers. Um, and not only that, from an internship standpoint, a lot of employers don't pay for relocation or housing. Um, that's not to say that you can't hire students from outside of your area because there are some key schools um, that may be um, a – New Jersey company is looking at Georgia for this uh, a key major in a particular school. Um, so the employer might say, well, I can't pay for your housing or your relocation, but maybe I'll give you, you know, a $500 stipend to help you relocate um, or I'll help you search for some local colleges or universities near our location that provide student housing in their their dorms or um, apartments that students are are renting out for the summer, so an employer can can do a lot to um, to help students from out of the area relocate. What about? a remote work this day and age a certain percentage of many employees is working remotely meaning working from home in some cases companies have even required that their workforce work from home is that reflected in the internship opportunities as well I don't know the actual percentage, but it I would say that it's probably increasing over the years. And um, that one factor that employers absolutely need to keep in mind, though, is that they need to be teaching and guiding and mentoring and supervising students. So it's not necessarily the hours worked, and this goes for full-time employees as well, but it's the end result. So... Um, a lot of students today are, uh, well, you know, frankly, they've been born with technology in their hands. Um, so they are very efficient and can multitask and, um, and are, are very good at that. So they might complete a project or a task in um, less time than an employer that's or employee that's more seasoned that has different techniques that they use to accomplish things. But even if an intern is remote, um, say they're doing sales for the employer, you still have to have um, some type of communication channel, some type of feedback sessions to ensure that the employer and the student are on the same page and that they're, they're both meeting the expectations that they had set from the onset of the job. So, um, so as long as those communication channels are open and the feedback sessions are frequent, um, not necessarily more than once a week, but at least once a week to ensure that there's always the opportunity for questions, the opportunity to request um, more work if the student is bored, um, or the employer can evaluate whether there's too much work on the student's plate and um, the student's spread too thin, or what other mentor or um, colleague could teach the student something else or how to, to uh, juggle their responsibilities to be successful. There seems to be a lot of controversy around finding the internship opportunities. What ways are available to interns who are seeking internships? Well, there's 
several options. Um, certainly, Intern Alliance is a unique online service. You know, we seamlessly connect qualified, diverse college students to viable internship opportunities with top U.S. employers. So the mission for us is to bridge that gap between diverse students and internship or apprenticeship employment in an online environment. We're not a job board where a student or an employer has to search on acronyms or terms that might not be familiar to them. It's a direct match service so that the uh, the employer puts a job description out there. They identify the year in school and the type of school that a student should be in, what the minimum requirement is for the um, the GPA, whether it be a major GPA or an overall GPA, um, what major the student needs to be in, um, whether it needs to be an accredited university. And the student puts in their job profile and answers similar type questions as to their educational background and their experience. And it's a direct match to not only tangible skill requirements, but also soft skill requirements. So anything, any job that a student is qualified for, 100% or greater, will show up in their inbox. And then they can at that time determine whether they would like to apply to that job or not. Same with an employer. The employer will only see 100% qualified students in their inbox. Uh, meeting or exceeding the minimum and requirements of the job or meeting the minimum requirements and and having some of the preferred requirements of the job, which is very important. So it takes out a lot of that tactical part, but don't be don't be fooled. The the employer still needs to interview the student. So you might have a student that is qualified, but you still have to find that culture fit between the student and the employer, and you still have to have a an interaction or a a high touch type environment where you're you're physically interviewing or interviewing someone over the phone or or over um, FaceTime or Skype to to be able to get a feeling or maybe visiting the campus to interview the students um, that are your top students on that campus. So the onus is on the employer to to continue that high-touch environment um, once they found their top students. But the great thing about this, about Intern Alliance, is that it's it expands over the entire United States and it touches all of the schools. So an employer that has multiple locations can look at students in different areas or employer in one location could um, could make sure that they're looking at the students um, all over the country who might fit that without who might fit their requirements without having all of the um, the high staffing hours and travel costs and and things like that. There are also um, some other social networks out there that are are very good that um, that could help some you know through um, say LinkedIn for example. Um, and career fairs are are a fantastic way for an employer to keep that high touch. Um, experience going to, to find students and for students to find employers. Is the first place of contact for internships the campus itself, the career placement office, for example? Would that be the first point that a student would go to and then failing that, look for alternatives online? Uh, you know, I my experience with with our interns and um, and over the last 25 years, there are quite a few students that do not use the career services office for finding an internship. 
they might go to a career services office to find a um, um, to tailor their resume or to perfect their interview skills through mock interviews. Um, but I think that some students don't realize that that is an option for them, and um, I'm not sure exactly why, whether it's the marketing of the career services or perhaps the um, the student body just feels that, you know, everything's on the Internet so they could find what they're looking for by, by searching the Internet. Um, but I would say certainly look at career services first, you know, and if they can't satisfy your needs or provide you with the types of internships that you're looking for, you should always go out on your own as well, independently and simultaneously as well you're working with the career services. Um, from a student's perspective, from an employer perspective, um, you know, you have to build relationships with the career services and um, attend their career fairs. And then the career services will more likely um, pay higher attention to your needs. That's not to say that if you don't um, donate to the school or if you don't attend their career fairs that they won't help you because I'm sure that they, they will in the majority of the times. But it it seems over the years that employers have provided feedback that um, that it, it is better to build those relationships um, and have a presence on campus in order to um, get the most out of a career services support to find an intern um, or two or, mul or multiple interns from their campus. If they go through the, the employers, if they go through a career services program, they're not having to pay any fees. If I understand correctly, the university would facilitate the process of them finding potential interns for free because this is a service to the student body. If they go through another means, such as a website, like Intern Alliance, then the employers have to pay to place an ad. Is that right? Um, it, de it depends. Um, whenever, for the career services, I have never heard that, that was ever, there was ever a price to the employer um, to get those services. But, again, if you're not attending their career fairs, which is, does cost money, um, and time and travel expense um, and literature and things like that, you are paying basically to attend a career fair to get access to their students. Um, but if you're just sending a resume in to a career service center and saying, um, or a job description in to a career service center and say, and saying, you know, could you please find me a student? They'll they'll help you certainly, um, but there's probably thousands of other employers asking for the same service, and there's usually a small office, again, only a, a handful or less of people that can help you. Um, when you're looking at intern um, internet options like Intern Alliance or like um, LinkedIn, um, yes, there is a fee. It's a nominal fee, um, very competitive fees for employers. Um, with Internal Alliance, it's free for students. It's also free for colleges and universities to um, to utilize the system. What kind of an impact does that have on small businesses and nonprofits with limited budgets? Does that mean that you're much less likely to find internships at those venues outside of a college career placement office? I don't have statistics supporting whether one is better than the other, but I can speak to the intern alliance way of approaching um, small employers and nonprofits, and we make 
it a level playing field against the large employers for that competing for those top students. So, for example, um, you're putting in those job requirements, and every student in the system nationwide who meets or exceeds those job requirements, whether you're a Fortune 500 or a nonprofit or a small business, those students are going to show up in your inbox, and you have an opportunity to um, to reach out to that student if they if they've applied to your job or if they haven't applied, you can you can nudge them to apply to let them know that you're also interested in them. So it it created a level level playing field for all employers of all levels and sizes. What kinds of data do we have available in relation to internship opportunities and geographic location, gender, ethnicity, race, age, et cetera? Is there anything out there? Uh, the, de- the Department of Labor certainly um, has statistics that um, slice and dice in every which way you could possibly think, um, you know, and the the importance of a corporation to, or even a smaller company, to look at the geography, the difference of thinking that is taught at different colleges and universities, um, the diversity of race and ethnicity and gender, and the veterans who are on the GI Bill who have gone back to school and um, are finishing their um, associate's, bachelor's, master's degree, doctor's degrees, to look at those students with all that different experience and diversity of backgrounds and, and ways of thinking to add to their corporation and their the growth of that company. It's the um, the forward-thinking companies that realize that that will add an increase to the bottom line, and there are studies out there that support such um, such. There are studies out there that support those statistics, but it is very um, it's very important, I believe, and as does the um, the function of internal alliance for employers to be able to market and promote to students with diverse backgrounds. And we have at Internal Alliance the ability to reach out to student clubs on campuses that are diverse and um, and and market to those students. Talking about diversity, one of the thoughts that pops into my mind is a movie that I saw, I'm not sure what year it came out, but uh, I want to say it was Anne Hathaway, and uh, I can't remember his name, but he plays a retiree. Robert who, De Niro. Thank you, <laughs> yes. Just blanked out. So it was Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro, and he plays a retiree who applies for an internship position. Is that really wacky, or are there people who are have been college graduates for years, or maybe are gone for a second career, or retired? It, are you really seeing older generation interns, for lack of a better term? Um, you know, I personally have not, but Internal Alliance is open to students of all ages and all parts, places in their career. Um, there are adult students that can sign up as long as you have a um, a student email with a .edu email address, you can sign up and put your profile out there and be considered for internship opportunities. I think that um, companies that do not evaluate 
um, students of all ages, whether they're adult students that are going to school part-time or perhaps students that are in between that have a, perhaps an acceptance letter to um, their master's program from their bachelor's program or uh, perhaps have gone back for their Ph.D. and are looking to gain um, experience in a, in a lab or in a, another, um, another type of um, career. Um, I have a friend who was a, a nursing graduate. She was a nurse, and then she decided to go back for her master's in engineering. She'd be a prime candidate today for what Intern Alliance has to offer. So I think that um, employers who are truly looking for the the right skills and the right um, the right type of of student for their culture, who or who can grow their culture um, to make it a better culture or more profitable and more inclusive, should should include students of all ages. There have been a number of lawsuits in which interns or former interns have turned around and sued the companies that they worked for. There have been allegations of abuses and wrongdoing that have resulted in lawsuits and investigations and complaints that there's not a lot of clarity in the internship space. And on the other side of the aisle, there are complaints that many of the students are just looking for a paycheck, that they're not qualified, that they are not as good and don't bring any skills to the table. What can you tell us about those two perspectives? You know, I think that every generation looks for the younger, younger generation in both positives and negatives because I think that they see um, an overlap of abilities or challenges that they may have seen when they were interns. Um, I think that having um, a very litigious environment in, um, in our society today is, is really sad but it's nonetheless a reality of our society. And um, are there legitimate lawsuits? Absolutely. Are there students that may be just looking for a payday? Most likely. Um, but the onus should be on the employer and the student to find the best fit for what makes them happy and meets their requirements of what their goal is. So, and that's where having um, those upfront discussions and um, understanding what the job is that you're accepting. If it's unpaid, you know, ask, if it's not written down, ask what the job is going to entail. I turned down internships. I turned down jobs because I didn't, and as does a lot of people, because they don't like either the pay or the type of work that is required of them. So ask questions if you're a student, and make sure as an employer that you are following the law. The law, it, and it certainly it's always up for interpretation, Um because our government can be vague at sometimes, but if you have a good faith effort, if you're standardizing your process, if you're, um, you know, you have, it doesn't have to be a whole manual of guidelines. It could be a page, but treat the students consistently and fairly and have a process where your managers and your mentors um, of these students are, are sharing best practices always keep that line of communication open once the student is hired um, to make sure that if there are any problems that are happening within the 
the guidelines of the internship that the student can have a venue to come forward and speak to if it's not the supervisor that they don't maybe they don't feel comfortable but speak to a peer or a mentor or a lot of companies have a, a ethics line that people can call anonymously and an investigation can be started if there seems to be some type of wrongdoing. It's always better for a company to resolve um, issues, no matter how small, before they escalate into larger issues within the confines of the company. The company does not certainly want the um, student or any employee to then feel that their only way of being heard is to hire a lawyer or to go to a human relations commission or the, um, you know, EEOC at the highest level of the government. You know, so to I can't even stress enough how important communication and feedback sessions are within um, within the confines of the internship. What, if any preparation or screening do the universities engage in and programs such as yours to ensure that there's a skill set match between what the students believe that they bring to an internship and what they really bring to an internship. Everything from the very basic dress style to fit the corporate culture to being on time and being mindful and respectful of corporate policies and procedures. Are there any kind of screenings or trainings that prospective students go through in order to be eligible for internships? What is required by a company could be different. You know, um, so it's the career services, I think, do a great job in in providing educational sessions for students to understand um, best practices when they go and work for an employer, like dress code or like business etiquette. Um, but employers take it also to a, a further extent where they have um, training during um, during the internships where the students can not only interact with each other and build teamwork and and um, interpersonal skills, but also understand, um, you know, from their peers and from their superiors what is the right or wrong approach in different situations. It's always good to have an orientation they, for at least – a few hours, maybe a half a day, the first day the students start their internships. And it's always good to have human resources there to provide them with some, some background on the policies um, and, you know, certainly, hopefully, the the student has already found out what the dress code was or the employer has shared that before their first day. But a good rule of thumb is to, if you don't know what the dress code is, it's always better to overdress than underdress. You could always take a uh, a jacket or or scarf off or roll up your sleeves if um, if it, if you're overdressed. But it's very hard to um, change from jeans to um, business casual slacks in. Um, in the course of a work day. So um, so a lot of that is on the onus of the human resources person or the, the supervisor who is onboarding the student to make sure that the student has um, the, the tools in their toolkit for a successful internship. But even if you do come to work and you don't know the way that the business is run because some businesses today, jeans and flip-flops or shorts and a T-shirt are fine to come to work, um, especially in some of these um, high-tech companies and um, uh, that are run by my, the millennial generation. So it's, it's very interesting um, to understand all of that 
and hopefully the employer again shares that shares that knowledge with the student before their first day or on their first day so that the student is set up for success. Since the onus falls on the employer and there is no screening to speak of or no training that anyone as far as we know is engaging in to prepare the students what suggestions, what tips would you share with our listeners, employers who might be considering an internship but perhaps are hesitant or have reservations about the number of responses and how to ensure that the students have the skill sets that they're looking for and the professional attitudes, perhaps, some of these soft skills I think that you were talking about earlier, not necessarily the technical skills, but that can interact comfortably in the corporate environment or the business environment, the nonprofit, whatever it is. Are there questions that are acceptable? What tips can you share with our listeners to help them overcome those reservations? Well, once you find a match of your your technical and and it's, it's to some degree the the softer skills, um, whether you use intern alliance or some other means through a career services organization. Um, I would say a behavioral type interview is very important in the interview process. Don't ask yes, no questions of the student. Ask them to provide an example or two explaining how they are a leader or how they led a a student project team or how they created a particular, um, you know, communications program or whatever it might be that the the employer is looking for. Um, having those examples really goes a long way. And sometimes, you know, students, like anybody else, they get a little nervous and they provide a very weak example um, so give them a chance. Let them provide a second example or let them come back to that question. Um, but it, with the interviews, I think that's very important. Some employers like to do the face-to-face. Some I have hired fantastic interns over the phone, and they have just climbed the corporate ladder and are doing great have I also hired interns that are just or employees that are just not good? Yes, everybody makes mistakes in, in judging people. But if you have um, the same criteria that you're judging the students off of before you make your decision on who you're going to hire, you should have a good rule of thumb right in front of you um, as to which are the top students that you would like to consider and make an offer to. And then once the students accept, if you apply um, situational leadership, which is a style that was developed by Kenneth Blanchard and, and Paul Hershey um, years ago, is, you know, where it refers to a, a leader or a manager who adjusts their style to fit the development level of the student or the employee. I think that's great because not everybody learns and grows at the same level. And you have to, as with any employee, adjust to the situation um, and be able to help coach the student. Now, if you do have a student that is not, you know, pulling their weight, they're falling asleep on the job, they're always on their phone, they're, you know, surfing the Internet constantly um, and not doing their work, they're missing their deadlines, don't let it get out of hand. And if you're following my rules of thumb about communication and feedback sessions, you're going to be on top of it and you're going to understand um, 
where they're falling short and be able to correct it. And if the student isn't correcting it or if the supervisor isn't providing the student with the tools to correct the situation, um, then it needs to be dealt with. There are interns that don't perform and they should be disciplined and they should even be terminated in some cases. And, you know, hopefully it's the few versus the many um, in your company or or your experiences, but it shouldn't deter a supervisor just because it's a student um, not to discipline them or not to terminate them. So you are currently offering a special promotion for, is it small businesses and nonprofits? Would you tell us about it? Yes. Um, for the small businesses and nonprofits of Hispanic NPR podcast, um, you will benefit from a limited time offer of a free internship and an apprenticeship job postings that will expire June 30th of 2018 at Intern Alliance. It's always free for students and schools to participate. Thank you, Danielle, for joining us from Allentown, Pennsylvania. You're welcome. It was a pleasure to be here. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Danielle Grupo, who is Chief Executive Officer of Intern Alliance, who discussed the business of internships. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.